Good evening. We'll be in the book of 1 Corinthians tonight. Doug decided to give me a scare this morning uh, by asking if I was preaching 1 and 2 Corinthians, which the bulletin does just say Corinthians, but I will not be speaking. Unless you guys want to be here until about 7.45, 8 o'clock tonight, uh, my intention is to, to only preach through the book of 1 Corinthians. When I was a child... I would often have a lot of friends over from the neighborhood. There's a lot of a lot of my friends lived in the houses nearby. One of my best friends growing up lived in the house right next to me. Another good friend lived in the sh- the street behind me, and another one of my good friends lived lived across the street from us. So the four there was about four or five, six of us really who would spend a ton of time together, and we all lived within walking distance, and that was really great. But that also caused some problems as well, namely when my parents would leave the house for uh, extended periods of time. Because what me and my friends liked to do, particularly when we were about middle school, play indoor hockey inside. And so some of you who have kids, particularly maybe if you have kids in middle school at the moment, you might be like, yeah, I know. (laughs) Or maybe some of you can relate to that from your own childhood of your parents would leave and you would just act all out of conduct. But what would happen is, you know, we would make a mess. We would uh, do things inside that that should only be done outside. We would would act disorderly. We'd play uh, hockey or other, you know, sports inside, just throwing each other off walls and all sorts of stuff. But every now and then, my dad would come home early or, or my mom would come home early and we would be in the midst of like the house is a wreck. Usually we would try to time it where we, we wrap up, we clean up the house and make sure everything, you know, kind of a cat in the hat situation, make sure everything it looks okay by the time my parents got home. But sometimes my dad would get home early and he wouldn't be too happy. He would sit down and say, that is, that is not how you conduct yourself inside. And I know now as an adult, probably like what my dad is thinking is, I can't leave the house for two hours without you guys just going acting all crazy. I can't leave the house for two hours without you guys acting like this. And when I read the book of Corinthians, sometimes I, I wonder if that's how Paul felt, right? I wonder if that's how Paul felt in, in the book of Corinthians. Can I not leave you on your own for, for, for two years without you falling into all sorts of mess? See, last week, Jake preached through the book of Romans, and and in Romans, it's a very different book than than Corinthians. See, the church at Rome, Paul had never visited. He talks about his his desire to visit Rome. See, the church at Corinth, Paul planted. Not just planted, but, but Acts 18 talks about Paul lived in Corinth for a year and a half, establishing that church. And, And when Paul is writing his first letter to the church at Corinth, He wishes he could be writing just an an encouragement to them about how great that they're doing. But what he has to do instead is correct all of this misconduct that the church at Corinth is is participating in. This this disobedience to to, to God's word. The, The church is acting in an unholy way. And so I imagine Paul is probably feeling that same way that my dad feels like, why can I not leave you guys alone for 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 two years? Without you acting all crazy? But in the letter to, to the Corinthians, Paul is addressing the, the, the misconduct in the church. 
that the church has, has departed from, from Christ-like action. And they have begun to look more like the world than, than, than the people of God. See, the church is called to be set apart. The church is called to look different than the world looks. But the church at Corinth had begun to look more like the world than, than God's people. Both in their, in their actions, in their worship services, and in the way that they showed love to one another. They looked more like the world than they did the called out, set apart people of God. And Paul is addressing all of this. And so when you read the book of Corinthians, see a lot of these books we try to, uh, particularly in these sermons, when we, when, we, when we do an overview of the whole book, uh, I like to try to break it down into sections. And I found that the book of 1 Corinthians is very difficult to break down in sections because Paul is jumping all over the place. He's talking, about, he's talking about sexual immorality. He's talking about idolatry. He's, he goes to talking about um, unity in the body of Christ. He goes to talk about the resurrection. He's, and he's jumping from these topics to topic to topic. And it's hard to really get nailed down like this is this section and, and this is that section of, of 1 Corinthians. But I think the reason Paul jumps from so many topics to topics is because the whole point of the book of Corinthians, the whole point is that the gospel of Jesus Christ is relevant to every aspect of the church and the life of the church. The gospel of Jesus Christ is relevant to every aspect of the church and the life of the church. See, the gospel doesn't affect just some things in the church. The gospel affects every single thing. And namely, for the book of Corinth, what Paul is emphasizing is that the gospel affects Christ-like obedience, the gospel affects unity within the church, and the gospel affects how we love one another. See, Paul is addressing misconduct within the church. But he's not just correcting misconduct, he's, he's showing them what the church should be marked by. And those three things, those are the three points that I'm going to talk about tonight. The three things that Paul emphasizes is that the church should be marked by Christ-like obedience. The church should be marked by unity among the body. And the church should be marked by love. The church should be marked by Christ-like obedience, unity, and love. See, the first thing we see within, within the, the, the church at, at Corinth is disobedience. That they are living in a way that is disobedient to God. And, and, and there's several, uh, several things that Paul points to and points out uh, about their disobedience. But one of the most prominent is sexual immorality. See, there are some who, who are misinterpreting the idea of Christian freedom, right? There's some in the, in the church at Corinth who are misrepresenting and misunderstanding the idea of Christian freedom. And so what Christian freedom means is that, that I have been set free from my sin in Christ. And that, that, that now, just like Romans 8.1 tells us that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I am, I am set free from that condemnation. I'm set free from, from the, the bond of sin. But in the church of Corinth, there are some who are misrepresenting that. 
They're misrepresenting that. And they say, well, if you have Christian freedom, then you can do whatever you want. You can live according to your own desires because you're set free in Christ. And they are misrepresenting the doctrine of Christian freedom. So much so in, in, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 that not only is sexual immorality happening in the church, it is being celebrated in the church. It is being celebrated as, as an example of God's grace and Christian freedom. The sexual immorality is being celebrated. And it is a total misunderstanding of the gospel. It is a total misrepresentation of what Christian freedom is. If you look in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 11, Paul makes a, a, a harsh stance. He says, but now I am writing to you to not associate with any so-called brother if he, is sexual, if he is a sexually immoral person or greedy or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. So Paul says, hey, this, this thing that you are celebrating should be cast out. And why? What's the purpose? Why should, why should that be cast out? The reason is because the church is called to be set apart. The church, the church is called to be a holy people. And to be a holy people means that you are set apart from the world. And there's a way in which the, the world acts and the world looks there, there are things that are accepted or even celebrated in our world, in our society today. But the church is set apart from that. The church should not be defined by what our world celebrates. The church should not look like the world. In fact, if a church is going to rightly practice Christian doctrine, it should at times be at odds with the world. Because to be set apart means that we don't look like them. We don't look like the world. The church is set apart from the world. If we gather here each week and our gatherings look just like the world, right? If I, if I stand up here and, and play music on Sunday morning, with a band, and, and it's not marked by, 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 by the truth of the gospel, and it's not marked by, by worshiping the true God, you should just go to a concert, because there are better musicians out there than me anyways. If I stand up here and preach, and it's not marked by, by the truth of God's word, it's not marked by, by, by the love of Christ, it's not marked by a conviction to God's word. You should just go listen to a TED Talk because they're better communicators than me, right? But our, the, the church should, by definition, by definition, the church should look different than the world. And in Corinth, the, the church was conforming to the ways of the world. It was celebrating the things of the world. Paul is telling them, do not even associate. Do not even associate with, with the world. Paul writes in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 1 that, that the gospel is foolishness to the world. The gospel is a foolishness to the world. So if the church is to be set apart, the church has to cast out 
the things of the world, to cast out the things of the flesh. And Paul gives a warning. See, Christian freedom doesn't permit us to do whatever we want. Christian freedom doesn't permit me to follow my, the, my, the desires of my own heart. That is a misuse and a misunderstanding of, of Christian freedom. And Corinth is using Christian freedom to, to justify sexual immorality, to celebrate idolatry. That's not what Christian freedom means. Rather, Paul writes about Christian freedom and what Christian freedom rightly should mean. If you look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19 through 23, Paul writes this of, Chris, of his Christian freedom. He says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a slave to all, so that I may win more. And to the Jews I became a Jew, so that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, though not being myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without the law, as without the law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might win those who are without the law. To the weak I became the weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that I may by all means save some. So I do these things not for the sake of, so I do all of these things for the sake of the gospel, so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. See, Paul is using his Christian freedom not to do whatever he wants, but he is using his Christian freedom to serve God and to spread the gospel. A right understanding of Christian freedom doesn't lead us to immorality. A right understanding of Christian freedom leads us to Christian obedience. And Paul, roots it, Paul, Paul takes this example. He takes this example of, of, of idolatry and sexual immorality, and, and he brings it back to the gospel. And you'll notice this throughout the whole book of, of, of 1 Corinthians, that, that all things that Paul talks about, he roots in the gospel and in the resurrection of Christ. And in, and in 1 Corinthians 5, you have to bear with me as we jump around. That's what happens when we preach through an entire book. We jump around to, to a lot of, uh, of different passages. Remember, this is a passage where they are boasting They are boasting in their sexual immorality. And he says, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Clean out the old lump so that you may be a new lump, just as you are in fact unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, also was sacrificed. Right? He roots it back to to the death and resurrection of Christ that has set apart the church. And he goes on to talk about the reason, the reason that, that, that sexual purity, the reason that sexual purity is so important and the reason that idolatry is so offensive to God is because our bodies are temple. Our bodies are temple. And what is the purpose of a temple? The purpose of a temple is that God may be worshipped there. Right? The purpose of a temple is that God may be worshipped there. And when, when sexual immorality and idolatry is celebrated, we take what was intended to worship God. We take what was intended to worship God and we worship ourselves. We worship our own desires. With idolatry, drunkenness, 
foolishness, satisfying the desires of the flesh. We take what was intended to worship God and we worship ourselves. We worship our desires. And that is an offense to God. See, God has called the church to be set apart. God has called the church to be set apart. And a right understanding of the gospel, a right understanding of Christian freedom leads us to Christian obedience. And so Christian obedience is a mark of the church. Holiness, to be set apart, is a mark of the church. The second mark of the church is unity within the body of Christ. And particularly, we won't have time to, to read the whole passage, but really chapters 12 all the way through 14 are some of the longest exposition we have on, on the body of Christ. And there's, there's issues, again, in the church at Corinth. They're having an issue with unity. In chapter 1, Paul talks about there are, there are some who, who follow Apollos, and there are some who follow Cephas, and some who follow Paul, and some who follow Christ. And there are divisions within the body. Factions, people following certain, certain groups instead of being united in Christ. More, more, more than just that, there's also issues of, of divisions among uh, socioeconomic lines in the church of Corinth. There are the extremely wealthy who are, who are being treated with favoritism. And, and there's divisions between the, the wealthy and the unwealthy in Corinth. There are divisions in the church. And Paul teaches and is instructing the church that it is Christ who is the head and the church is the body. And the body is made up of, of many different parts that all work together to, to serve the head. But it's important that all of the, all of the members of the body work together. And again, Paul roots this teaching back to the gospel. He roots the teaching of unity back to the gospel. If Christ is the head and we are the body, the body is to be united together to serve Christ. And when there's disunity in the head, what was intended to, to serve Christ is now fighting against one another. When, when different members of the body, if my right arm is, is, is at war with my left arm, then, then I'm not working to serve Christ. Right? And when there's disunity in the church, that disunity goes against serving Christ. And again, we come back to the same thing with the temple. What was intended to worship God is, is being used for some other purpose. See, Christ established his church, and, and the chief end of the church is to glorify God. See, the chief end of the church is to glorify God, and when we divide, when we are a people that are divided, not only are we, we not glorifying God, but we are actively working against one another. And I think an example of a church united is, is in Acts chapter 4. And you read in Acts chapter 4 about, about the early church, and it says, you know, it talks about people coming from, from all different walks of life. And it says that in Christ, they have everything in common. 
I think about that sometimes. There are Christian brothers that I, brothers and sisters, that, that I may have earth on an earthly level nothing in common with. We come from different backgrounds. We, we, we enjoy different things. On, on all levels, we would not be friends on earth, on, by earthly standards. But in Christ, we have everything in common. And we are to be united in Christ. We are to be united in Christ as a, as a church, as a congregation, but also globally, also globally as a church, the, the capital C church. We are, we are united with believers all over the world, even ones we've, we've never met, believers who speak a different language than us. We are united in Christ. But specific to this congregation, we are on a mission together. And that mission is to, to, to glorify God. And we do that through, through, through the sharing of the gospel and through the building up of one another, through the discipling and maturing of believers. But, we, but that's done when we are united together. See, spiritual, spiritual maturity should lead to unity, and unity should lead to spiritual maturity. And this is a, an ongoing cycle that as a church, as we are more united, we are being built up and being more mature. And as we are more mature, we are then being built up to be more united. That is how the church is called to work. But we are, when we are divided over any issues, and we let those issues subvert the gospel... When we let any issue subvert the gospel of Jesus Christ and divide us, we're tearing down what God has built, was trying to build up. Right? We are tearing down the, the, the church of Christ. We aren't building each other up. And the church at Corinth is, is facing disunity. And the last, the third mark of the church is love. Particularly love, that the church is to be marked by love. And love is what binds both unity and obedience together. Church, love is what binds both unity and obedience together. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is a, one of the more well-known passages in the Bible Definitely one of the more well-known passages in 1 Corinthians. It's often read at, at weddings and in marriage ceremonies. And I think that, that can be a good thing. But I, I really think that this isn't talking about romantic love. This is talking about our relationship within the context of the church. Right? And the love that we should have for one another. And Paul writes this. He says, if I speak with tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have the gift of prophecy and know all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith so as to remove mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. If our unity, if our obedience does not flow from love, first and foremost, love for God, and secondly, love for one another in the church, if our obedience and our unity don't flow from love, then we have nothing. Love is what binds obedience and unity together. Love for Christ, love for one another. 
In fact, it doesn't just say, if I, if I don't have love, it says, I, if I don't have love, I'm nothing. But, but before then, it even says, I have become a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. Now think about that for, exa- for, for a minute. Now let's say I'm sitting here trying to preach. And, and, and for whatever reason, you know, let's, I'm going to use Matt as an example just because he's right there. Matt decides to get on the drum set while I'm preaching. And just as loud as he can, just hit the cymbals. Just as loud as he can. Is anyone going to really hear what I'm saying? No, you're going to be totally distracted by the, the noisy gong. Not to insult your, your drumming abilities. I've never heard you play drums. But if he's just hitting a cymbal as loud as he can, it's, a, it's not only that it's adding nothing, but it's a total distraction from, from the truth that is trying to be presented. And so if we, if we are a church that, that tries to be marked by truth, but that truth is separate from love, then we are a noisy gong and a distraction from the truth, a distraction from the gospel. The church is to be marked by love. See, we can't have obedience to, to Christ without love for Christ. All you have is legalism. Right? All you have is just f- disciplining yourself to, to follow a set of rules. But if it's removed from love, then it does not flow from a transformed heart that's been transformed by the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then you have nothing. Our obedience needs to flow from love. The way we interact with one another needs to be marked by love for one another. See, love, love for Christ and love for the church should be the motivation of the church. If we have all the gifts in the world, faith that could move mountains, but we do not have love, we have nothing. If you look at, at, at chapter 16, this is the, verse, the two verses we read at the beginning And Paul's final exhortation to to the church at Corinth. Chapter 16, verses 13 and 14, it says, Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, and let all that you do be done in love. I love Paul's exhortation here. I love Paul's exhortation here. He says, be watchful. Which means don't let, don't let disobedience, don't let immorality, don't let false teaching creep in, right? And as believers, we need to hear that because if, if we're not watchful in our own lives, it's so easy for sin to creep in. It's so easy for false teaching to creep in. We have to be watchful every day. And being watchful in the life of the, the Christian means looks like equipping yourself with the gospel, Waking up, reading God's word, putting people around you who are going to build you up and disciple you and and actively discipling others and pouring into others. We need to be watchful as a church. We need to stand firm in the faith. When I think of standing firm in the faith, see, the church at Corinth, they they just conformed to, to the world's view. They conformed to what the world was doing. It's so, church, it is so easy for us to do that because that's the path of least resistance at times to, to, to not stand firm in the faith and just conform to the world because it's easier to just be agreeable than to stand on truth. But we are not called to that. We are called to stand firm in the faith. 
It calls me back to Ephesians chapter 4 where it talks about, about the immature believer. And the immature believer is, is blown about by every wind of doctrine. Standing firm in the faith means that we are mature in our faith. And we are maturing in our faith. And maturity in the faith comes from unity with the believers and unity within the church. Being built up, edified in the church. So that we don't fall victim to every wind of doctrine that we hear. Society's view on anything, on truth, is constantly changing. What our society believes as true today is totally different than what society believed 20 years ago. We talked about examples, and I won't get into politics, but we talk about examples of just listen to like, you know, the career politicians. We've got career politicians in our country who've, who've served for 40 years. And look at what they were saying, the positions that they held 20 years ago versus the positions that they hold today. And it's totally different. Because they have just totally changed with what society and what culture believes. And for, as a church, it's so easy for us to fall into that as well. To shift with the ever-shifting world that we live in. Church, we are called to build our foundation on the rock of Jesus Christ and the rock of God's word. And God's word has not changed and our faith should not change. We are called to stand firm. And then Paul says, act like men. Act like men. And I think this is a callback to, to what he says in, in, in 13 verse 11. Where if you look there, he says, um, well, no, that's the wrong verse. Uh, but anyways, where he says, he says, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put off childish things. He's saying, church, be a man. This isn't a call only to men. This is Paul speaking in the same way he spoke in chapter 13. Be mature, right? Be mature. When Paul was a child, he acted like a child. He thought like a child. He spoke like a child. When Paul became a man, he acted like a man and put away childish things. How does a child act? Those of us who have children, we know children do whatever they want, right? I love my, my almost two-year-old to death. But you know what she thinks about when she wakes up? What she wants to eat. You know what she does? What she wants to do. And if she, do and if she doesn't get that, you know what she does? She cries. Because that's what children do, right? They serve their own needs. They think about their own needs. And we expect that from a child. But there's a call to spiritual maturity that we are to put away childish things. There's a call to spiritual maturity. We're to put away the things that we did when we were spiritual little children. We're not to, we are not to remain as spiritual children. There's a time and a place to be a spiritual child. There's even maybe some people in this room who are spiritual children, who are young in their faith. And what's the call to them? To mature, right? And, and, and the burden of the church to love them, be united with them, and to help build them up and mature them. So that no one remains spiritually immature. That we grow up, that we put aside childish things. Act like men. That's what Paul writes. Be 
strong. I love this because all of these things take strength. You take strength. We talked earlier about the path of least resistance, which is just looking like the world. That's the path of least resistance. That doesn't take any strength at all. It takes strength. It takes boldness. It takes courage to be set apart and, and, and to look and conform to the image of Christ and not to the image of the world. It takes boldness. It takes strength. That strength that we are empowered by the Holy Spirit for. That's what the church is called to. But just as there is, an, there is an exhortation to be strong, there is also a filling of the Holy Spirit to strengthen us. Be strong. And then he says, he says, and in everything you do, he says, let all that you do be done in love. And so that, those actions that we're called to, those things that we're called to as a church, to be called to Christ-like obedience, to be called to holiness, to call to stand firm in our faith, to be called to, to act like men, to be mature in our faith. That is to be done in love. You can't stand firm in the faith without love. And if you do, you look like, it, it looks like a hypocrite. It looks like hypocrisy. And you know what that sounds like to the world, to everyone else? That sounds like a clanging gong. We can't stand firm in the faith outside of love. We can't mature in our faith without love. We can't be strong without love. That's hypocrisy. That's a clanging gong. In all that we do, let us do it in love. That's the exhortation to the church at Corinth. This is all rooted Remember, Paul roots these things back in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That our obedience, our unity with one another, our love for one another is rooted in our understanding of the gospel and is an outworking of the gospel. Christ has died for us. Christ has died for you. And with that, our response to that is to act and be conformed to his image. And see, church, the book, at, the book of 1 Corinthians is a book all about how the gospel of Jesus Christ affects and impacts every aspect of the church. For us, when we read this, we should know that the gospel of Jesus Christ impacts every aspect of our life. Right? The way that we live, the way that you conduct yourself, the way that you love one another, the way that you obey Christ, the way that you are united with one another, the way that you speak, the way that you act. Do you follow the desires of Christ or do you follow your own idolatrous desires? And all of that is a response to the gospel, that Christ has died and he has died for your sins that Christ has risen from the dead, resurrected, and is seated at the right hand of God. And he has called his church, he has called his church, us, the body of believers, to be set apart, to be marked by unity, 
to be marked by Christ-like obedience and holiness and to be marked by love. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for this day. God, I thank you for um, just the, the, the evening service and the series that we've been going through, studying the books of the Bible. God, I pray that this would be a time uh, that, that builds up the church and builds not just our knowledge, that we would not just walk away learning more about the New Testament, but we would walk away knowing you more and having a deeper desire to, to love you and to obey your commands. And God, I pray all these things in your name. Amen.